Good to see you guys. So next week, um, we're going to be launching our summer series called At the Movies, and we're really excited about this. This is something we, uh, we're kind of doing uh, each summer where we're going to look at some of Hollywood's kind of biggest blockbusters over the years, and we're going to kind of dive into the Word of God and look at some powerful truth from Scripture that we can tie into some of the kind of themes from those movies. And uh, to kind of kick off in week number one, um, I, I told you guys last week, I'm going to be talking about um, a movie that I recently saw this summer, actually a couple times, and it has fast become one of my favorite movies. This is probably the best movie I've seen in at least five to ten years. And uh, the movie is Top Gun Maverick. And so this Tuesday, we are doing um, an at-the-movies night uh, for you guys to have an opportunity, if you haven't yet seen it, to go see Top Gun Maverick for free and maybe even invite a friend or a neighbor to come with you. And so um, I invited all of my neighbors. We have five neighbors around us, and four of them said they were busy, and one said they're coming. So I'm really excited that one of my neighbors is going to be coming. And uh, we've almost sold out the theater, but if you missed last week, it's not too late. I think we have 12 seats left in the theater. There's still a sign-up sheet in the foyer, and you can sign up for it. It's going to be at Apple Cinema in Saco um, this Tuesday, August 2nd at 6.30 p.m. in theater number four. You don't need tickets. You just have to have your name on the list and you come back there and we'll check you off and you can have a great time seeing Top Gun Maverick. Um, we'd love to see you this Tuesday to be a part of that. The other thing I want to announce to you guys is last week uh, we unveiled our plans to do a trip to Israel in 2024. And we were blown away by the response um, of our church community. We had over 40 families sign up that they are interested um, for more information in this trip to Israel. And so I want to give you the next step. On August 21st, immediately following the service, we're going to have our first information meeting where we're going to give you the details um, about the trip, itinerary, some of the costs, things like that. Also, if you sign up for our um, weekly email, there's a link this Friday on the weekly email um, where you can click on it and start seeing some of that information. And um, from our missions council, from our uh, Nazarene Missions International, our NMI council, we have our um, Israel trip coordinator, which is Mr. Aaron Lawton. So Aaron, can you wave your hand right over there? So Aaron's gonna kind of be helping coordinate the trip and he's gonna be helping oversee that meeting along with myself. So we invite you to stick around for about a 15, 20 minute info information meeting August 21st, put in your calendar right after service on Sunday if you're ready for more information about Israel that's coming up. But today, we are wrapping up our series called Blessed, and we're glad you guys are with us today. Um, and if you've missed any of the weeks, let me just kind of tell you what we've been doing in this series. We've actually been looking at the teachings of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 5 in a little section in the Bible called the Beatitudes, where Jesus taught about how to have a blessed life. And what we've been doing for the purpose of this series is we've been applying these teachings of Jesus into our lives and into our families to try to seek the blessings of God into our lives. Because the reality is, if you look around today, most people probably wouldn't say, man, I feel really, really blessed in life. I mean, I've got a blessed marriage. I'm in a blessed position financially. I have a blessed relationship with my parents or my kids right now. In fact, when most people today look at their family, or at least their extended family, uh, a word that they would probably use instead might be this word right here. Crazy, right? 
Crazy might be the word. So what we've been doing in this series is we've been asking God to teach us to live according to his word so that he might be able to bless our lives and bless our homes. Now, if you're taking notes, let me give you kind of the key thought, the overarching thought that we've kind of been looking at throughout this entire series. And let's go ahead and say it out loud together. If you've been here for a while, you've heard us say this for the last several weeks. What are we not, okay? What are we called to be and what are we not called to be? Here's, here's what it is. Say it with me, okay? We are not called to just be a what? Christian, right? We are called to be what? God first. We are not called to just be a Christian. We are called to be God first. Now, if you're new here today, you might be thinking, well, well what's the difference? And unfortunately, the word Christian today doesn't mean what it used to mean. In fact, uh, in our country, to be a Christian is almost a default decision. I mean, there, there are tons of people who if you said, hey, what are you when it comes to faith? They might be like, well, you know, I, I, I guess I'm a Christian. That's kind of my family heritage. So I guess I, I'd consider myself a Christian. But there's a really big portion of our population that would fall in, into this category uh, of what we would call a cultural Christian or a casual Christian, a person who's a Christian in name only. In fact, some 65% of our country identifies themselves as being Christian, but if we really looked at the lives of all of those people, for many of them, there's no evidence that Jesus is really the priority in their life. See, church, we're not called to be a Christian just in name. As followers of Jesus, we're called to be Christ-centered. We're called to be God-first in everything we do. In other words, Jesus isn't just a part of our lives, the guy we call on when we're in trouble and we really need some prayer, or, or uh, you know, the person we think about on Christmas Eve or on Easter Sunday or whenever it fits our schedule. If he's truly the center of our lives, then there's going to be evidence of that for people who look at our lives. Our values are going to be different. If we have kids, the way that we raise our kids is going to be different. The way that we use our resources and our finances are going to be different. The way that we treat people around us and love people around us is going to be different. The way we prioritize our time, the way we prioritize our talents is going to be different. Because Jesus isn't just a little part of our lives. He is our life. He's everything. He's the whole package. Now, our key thought for today, if you're taking notes, is this. Are you guys ready for a fun and uplifting message this morning in church? If so, say, yes, pastor, I am. Yes. All right, here we go. Here it is. Here it is if you're taking notes. If you're living God first, you will be persecuted. <laughs> Amen, right? Isn't that awesome? Aren't you glad you came to church this morning for this message of hope and encouragement to start your week, right? That's inspiring. But it's true. If you have made the decision, or if you're about to make the decision to live a God-first life, you need to understand that you're probably going to be persecuted. There's going to be times in life people are going to mock you. They're going to make fun of you. They're going to ridicule you, or possibly worse, because that's what happens when you go all in with God. And, and, and I don't know how it'll play out for you and your family, but over the years, it's, it's played out in different ways for me and mine. 
One example that was really stressful when it happened, but it's a little funny to us now as a family, was years ago when we were living near a a rough area of of Baltimore, um, my wife Julie and I felt really strongly impressed by God to send our kids to a private Christian school. Now, I have never told any of you guys that you need to do that or that you need to homeschool your kids. In fact, uh, for some of you, I'd tell you, don't homeschool your kids. You can barely add and spell yourself. That would go really badly for you, so don't do that, okay? And since we've been up in Maine, uh, my kids are in public school, and, and they've loved that too. But we felt called at the time to send our kids to this school called Lamb of God in Halethorpe, Maryland, and you wouldn't believe what some people told us, people in our family, people who are our friends, They're like, why would you waste your money on something like that? You can't afford that. That is such a waste. I mean, they're not going to learn how to function in the real world. They're going to be stunted. They're going to wear ugly uniforms and hair buns and no makeup, and they'll have no style, and they're going to turn out so weird and socially awkward, and they're going to grow up making their own butter. Persecution. Persecution, okay? Now, I must say... You know, two of my daughters were up here this morning. I, I must say my girls do look good in hair buns, and their butter is delicious. I have to point that out, okay? But all kidding aside, God blessed us, and it wasn't all perfect, but God blessed us in so many ways through that decision. The relationships we made. Our church plant wound up launching at that school. My wife eventually worked at that school and made so many great friendships. People there who still come and visit us up in Maine to this day. My daughter Cassidy went down to Hershey Park a few weeks ago to celebrate her eighth grade graduation with her eighth grade class from Lamb of God because they're still friends. My daughter Liberty met her best friend in the whole world, Nora, and who flies up to visit us frequently. They just did a trip up to Canada together after Nora graduated from high school. She would have never met her if we didn't make that decision. If you're trying to live a God-first life, you will be persecuted. And Jesus said very, very clearly in the final beatitude, in Matthew 5, verse 10, he said this. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he didn't stop there. He continued on in verse 11, and he went on to say this, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Now, some of you may say, okay, well, what exactly does that mean? Blessed are you when you're persecuted for doing what's right. And you might think, well, okay, you know, AJ, obviously, you know, you're going to get persecuted. You're a preacher. The reality is you, you don't need to be a preacher to get persecuted. In fact, the very first illustration of persecution that's found in Scripture was between two brothers, Cain and Abel. And it wasn't because Abel was preaching to Cain. The reason Cain was angry was because Abel was living for God. That's what he was doing. He was doing the right thing before God, and Cain wasn't. And his own sin convicted him, and maybe he was angry at himself. Who knows? But he lashes out 
and he kills his brother Abel, not because his brother was doing anything wrong, but because his brother was doing everything right, and it made him angry. And so I don't know what it will be for you, but when you're striving to be a God-first person, you're going to be living out different values. Maybe you're here today and you're a teenager. Maybe you're a high school student. Maybe you're a young adult and you think, you know what, I'm going to honor God with my purity. I'm going to guard my virginity until I'm married. And all your friends are like, you're an idiot. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You're so old-fashioned. You got to play the field. You got to have fun. I mean, you got to test drive it before you buy it. Who would give that up? That's dumb. And they're going to make fun of you. Blessed are you when people persecute you for righteousness. Maybe you decide you're not going to go to certain movies or watch certain movies that all your friends are doing because you don't want to put stuff in your mind like that. And people are going to make fun of you for that. Or, or maybe you're so crazy that you say, you know what? I'm not going to put my child in this sports league. Well, why not? Well, because that league plays all their games on Sunday morning, and our family goes to church on Sunday morning. Well, that's crazy. How can you put church in front of your eight-year-old's athletic future? Well, maybe church for our family is a better investment for our eight-year-old's future. Or maybe, maybe you're seeking God, and you're trying to make him first, and things just aren't going right in your life. And people in your family or your friends say, where's God now? You're trying to follow God. Where is he? I don't see God in your life. And you start to recognize, you know, maybe things aren't going right in my life right now, not because I'm doing something wrong, but because I'm doing something right. And there's spiritual opposition, there's spiritual warfare that's going on right now while I'm trying to do something right. See, if you're God first, you're going to get persecuted. It's going to happen. Just look at the Apostle Paul in Scripture. You know, his life was good. He was having no problems at all when he was a Pharisee going around hunting down and killing Christians. Everything was going great for Paul. But then he encounters Jesus, and he, he gets sold out for Jesus. Jesus becomes number one in his life, and he starts telling people about Jesus. He starts planting churches all over the place. He makes Jesus first. And guess what happens? He's beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, snake bit, and arrested. If you're God first, it's not a question of if you'll be persecuted. It's a question of when. So that raises this question. Well, how do, how do we prepare our families for persecution? How do I prepare myself? How do I prepare my family for persecution? How do we prepare them to have such deep roots in their faith with Jesus, that they can handle any inevitable persecution that may come their way. And so let me give you just three quick thoughts today. That's kind of what we're going to talk about and unpack this morning. Three quick thoughts on how you can build your faith and this faith in your family. We're going to get really practical. How do we prepare our families? If you're taking notes, number one is this. Number one is this. We teach them to expect it. We teach them to expect it. We're going to teach them to expect persecution. This is what Paul taught Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12. He said this. He said, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what, church? Persecuted. If you want to follow Christ, you will be persecuted. If your family 
is going to be God first, if you're trying to be God first, in some way, you're going to be different from people around you. And people are not going to understand that. And they're going to criticize you for it. I don't know what that's going to be for you. But when you live God first, you're going to be different. You're going to be different from the values of the world around you. And people might make fun of you. It may be at Thanksgiving dinner. And some people in your family take jabs at you because you're praying over the meal. You know, they might not invite you to certain parties because you're no fun. When my wife, Julie, was in high school, she made a decision that she wanted to fully surrender her life to Christ. She wanted to go all in with Jesus. And she didn't want to do the things that many of her friends were doing. People thought she was weird, that she was a Jesus freak, and they stopped inviting her to school parties. They may make fun of you when you read your Bible. They may make fun of you when you dress modestly, when many in our culture don't. Whatever it may be, if they make fun of you, just expect it. Don't be shocked by it. It's part of following Christ. It's what happens. And so if you're raising kids, I would advise you, I would advise you to start to introduce them to maybe some small controlled doses of persecution where you teach them when they're still young that as a follower of Jesus, sometimes you're going to be persecuted. And I'll give you an example. And as a pastor and as a Christian, I just want you to know I have nothing against dressing up your kids, knocking on doors, and getting free candy on Halloween. I think it's awesome, okay? I just want you to know that. Nothing at all. In fact, I think Halloween is the one day a year when strangers show up at your house and knock on your door, and you can show them the love of Jesus, and that's pretty awesome. In fact, one of our former general superintendents in the Church of the Nazarene once told me that he loved Halloween, and he would get the very best candy in the entire neighborhood, the full-size, large candy bars, because he knew that was the one day during the year that all his neighbors were coming to his house, and he, he wanted to make sure they would all come to his house, and then he would just have conversations with the parents when they came to the door and he would just show them love when they came to the door. But I know many Christian parents who've made a decision that they're not going to promote dark, evil stuff on Halloween. They're going to have their kids dress up as superheroes or princesses or comic book characters or something like that, not like a demon or some kind of scary monster. And I served for many years. In fact, I served for 10 years as a children's pastor. And it surprised me to no end what kids, elementary age kids, from Christian families put in their brains. I would, uh, I would be in children's ministry like, like Lighthouse Kids is happening on that side of the building. And we'd have a discussion in small group with the kids. And I would ask them a question like, what's your favorite movie? And I would expect the kids to say things like Lion King or Frozen. And I would have kids in third, fourth, fifth grade say things like Saw or Nightmare on Elm Street or some other graphic horror movie. And these were kids of professed Christian parents and even church leaders, like board members in our church. Guard the heart and minds of your kids. Guard the hearts and minds of your kids. Build in them the idea that we're going to be different for God. And people may criticize you, moms and dads. 
They may call you overprotective, but you're planting a value in your kids, and you're also teaching them, you know what? We're willing to face a little persecution and be different, but we're going to put Jesus first in our home. So whatever that looks like in your life, whatever God convicts you to do in your life personally, teach your kids early. Teach them to expect it. We're God first. People might make fun of us. And the reason this is so important and the reason you need to hear this is because persecution in our country, in the United States of America, historically, historically, has been relatively light. In fact, our our country was founded on a lot of Judeo-Christian values. So historically, it's been relatively light, but it's increasing every single day. There is tremendous growing hostility towards Christianity and its values. And many of you have seen it in your lifetime. And you better learn to stand strong and teach your children to stand strong because the heat will most likely only increase in our lifetimes. And so they need to have their roots deeply planted. You will be persecuted. Jesus said it very, very directly in John 15, verses 18 and 20, he said this. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world. I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So number one, we, ex- we know to expect it. We teach our families to expect it. The second thing that we need to do and we need to teach them to do, if you're taking the notes, is this. Number two, we teach them to endure it. We teach them to endure it. We teach them to endure persecution. In fact, Paul told the Corinthians this in 1 Corinthians 4.12. He said this, when we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we what, church? We endure it. We endure it. We don't whine about it. We don't cry about it. We don't gripe about it. This isn't fair. Life isn't fair. I just can't suffer anymore. Boo-hoo. Woe is me, the poor Christian. We don't do any of that. We endure it. And may I remind you, again, that the persecution that we endure in this country is incredibly light to what happens around the world. There are places in the world to this day, in 2022, that if you confess your faith in Jesus, your family would disown you. There are places in the world that if you confess your faith in Jesus, they will arrest you and they will torture you until you recant that faith. They'll cut out your tongue. They'll murder you. For centuries, even to this day around the world, people continue to lose their lives for their faith in Jesus. So when someone makes fun of you because you decide you don't want to use drugs or drink alcohol because you believe your body belongs to God and you just think that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and you just want to keep your body pure and you want to eat healthy foods and you want to exercise and you want to do that because you want to take care of yourself because your body doesn't belong to you, it belongs to God and people mock you for that. I mean, that's nothing when it comes to persecution. If people make fun of you because you decide to give a first portion of your income back to God or you spend your tax return to go on a trip to Israel instead of buying a big screen TV 
or because you decide to leave a gift in your will to your church and people say you're crazy for doing that, consider yourself blessed and just endure it. You take it like a man or woman of God. You endure it with a big smile on your face. When God calls you to do something different in your life, like drive an old used car and take a brown bag to lunch so you can work to get out of debt because you know God doesn't call you to live in financial debt. And other people laugh at you and they call you cheap. And they say, why don't you live like us? We're in debt to our eyeballs. Just get a credit card and just charge it to the max. You just smile and endure it because you're a follower of Jesus. And when you do, it's amazing what happens. God starts to do something inside of you. See, when you start to endure persecution, your intimacy with God, it just takes off. It just grows. Your intimacy with God, it just increases and increases and increases. Your faith, it grows. I remember in college, um, I was a pre-med student. And then I decided to fully surrender my life to Jesus and make him first. And I felt a calling into ministry. And I started to tell people that I thought God was calling me to be a missionary. And people looked at me like I said I decided to cut my head off that day. Like, why would you do something so stupid? And I was like, well, this is just what I feel called to do. Even people in my family, they were like, you've got a future. You're going to be a rich doctor. You're going to take care of us when we're sick. Why would you waste all of that for church? Years later, when I left a stable 10-year job as an associate pastor, as a family pastor, with my wife pregnant with our fourth child, Jace, to go plant a church in low-income Baltimore, I had family members and Christian friends who were deeply concerned for what they thought was a very stupid, irrational decision to follow what they thought was a crazy calling from God. You know what that did? It deepened my faith in Jesus. It solidified the decision. It, it helped me to understand that I wasn't going to be a person who lived for the approval of other people and worrying about what other people thought. I was going to be a person who lived for the approval of God. If you haven't been persecuted in a while in your life, I'm telling you, you're almost at a disadvantage. Because throughout history, when Christians have been persecuted, when the church has been persecuted, the church grows stronger. There's a sense of unity and passion and boldness, and it weeds out the people who didn't really mean it. And it strengthens those who really did. I mean, just look at what we experienced in the past two years during the pandemic. And, and, and when your family stands together for Jesus, not just, yeah, we're, we're kind of a Christian family. No, when you decide we're going to be God first, we're going to be Jesus first, when your family is persecuted for that, there's a sense of strength and identity in who God has called you to be. In fact, when I, when I got out of pre-med and I got my degree in biopsych, and then um, I got my master's in, in clinical 
pastoral counseling, here's what I learned in social psychology. And if you're taking notes, it goes like this. And if you're a parent here, can you raise your hand? If you're a mom or dad, you should write this down. Like pull out your phone, jot this down. Because this is, this is some good wisdom here. This is from social psychology. Here's what I learned. Where family identity is strong, peer pressure is weak. But where family identity is weak, peer pressure is strong. Let me say that again, and then I'll unpack it. Where family identity is strong, peer pressure is weak. But where family identity is weak, peer pressure is strong. This is so important to understand if you're a parent and you're raising kids. Where there is a deep, grounded, spiritual identity, we are Christ followers. We are all about Jesus. We're a Jesus first family. We're gonna be persecuted and that's okay, but we're on a mission as a family. We have a calling. We're living for something bigger than us, for a bigger story than our story. We're, we're living for something greater than ourselves. When there's a strong family identity in God, the peer pressure your kids face will not be as strong because they have purpose in your family identity together. But when that's not there, when there's no real family identity, where there's no mission, where there's no purpose, where there's no higher calling, where it's like, yeah, we're just trying to have a good time. We just want a better car. We just want to get some ATVs. Peer pressure is so much stronger because we don't know who we are and we don't know whose we are. We're not called to be just a Christian family in name only. We're called to be a God-first home. He's the center in everything that we do. Therefore, we tell our family, sometimes we're going to be persecuted. We expect it. And when it comes, we endure it. But we just don't endure it. There's one last word, and that word is this. Number three, last point we'll look at today. Number three, we also teach them to embrace it. And we also teach ourselves to embrace it. You embrace it. You thank God when it comes. You thank God that you get to suffer in some small way like your Savior Jesus, who gave it all for you. You embrace it. In fact, Peter said this, and when I read you what he said, I want to I give you the context in which he said it, because you got to understand that. Peter was talking to a group of these early Christians who were being persecuted beyond anything we could fathom or imagine today, beyond anything our minds could kind of comprehend. In fact, one of the things they would do with these early Christians and Emperor Nero and all, all, all that was going on around this time, they would take these Christians and if they didn't renounce the name of Jesus, they would put them in the center of the Colosseum in front of huge crowds and then they would release lions who would physically rip them to shreds and devour them. And they would take some of these early Christians and they would dip them in oil and they would light them on fire and use them as torches to light up the palace grounds. These are the people that Peter was talking to. And here's what he said in 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 13. He said, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange is happening to you. 
But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And then he goes on to say this in verse 16, and don't miss this, because this is just, this is so very powerful. Peter goes on in verse 16 to say this, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you get to bear that name. You praise God that you get to bear that name. When your friends make fun of you at lunch because you're praying over a meal, praise God that you get to bear that name. When all the guys after work are going to the bootylicious hooter hut on Friday night and you say, no, I don't really feel comfortable doing that. And they're like, why not? That's what all the real men do. And you're like, well, you know, I want to respect and honor my wife or my future wife. And I want to keep my mind pure. And I don't want to treat women that way. I want to treat them with respect because they're not objects for my lustful desires. They're daughters of the king of the universe and should be treated in that kind of a fashion. Blessed are you gentlemen when you're persecuted for that. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, for yours is the kingdom of God. Some of you right now, you feel like you must be doing something wrong because you've got all this opposition around you. And somebody in your life who's not a believer may even say to you, hey, how's that God thing working out for you? Doesn't look like it's working out so well. Maybe you just started to make God first in your finances. And then the engine falls out of your car, right? May I remind you that things may be going wrong not because you're doing something wrong, but because you're doing something right. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. This is a spiritual battle, church, and it's a very real one. One last story, and then we'll close in prayer. One of the more... um, meaningful spiritual moments that I think I've had with my kids is when they've experienced um, real persecution that our family faces. And again, this is minor compared to persecution in other parts of the world and persecution in church history like we've just talked about. But they've grown up as pastor's kids and in church world. And they love their church and this is a great church community And in very large part, um, this has been a very, very loving church family and church community towards our family. But a few years ago, my eldest two kids experienced a couple incidences where I was attacked for the way I was leading our church. And it wasn't attacks from non-Christians. It was actually attacks from Christians that didn't understand our mission, our vision, our philosophy for wanting to focus on outsiders. Things like my appearance, the way that I dress, why we chose to use certain styles of music, the way I preached, etc. And I, I try to shield, my wife and I, we try to shield our kids as much as possible from stuff like that, but they got exposed to some of it. And my first thought or fear was that they were going to get afraid or they were going to get mad. But here's what they did. My oldest daughter, Liberty, said, Dad, well, we just need to pray for them, don't we? My daughter, Alexi, said, Dad, we're going to keep doing this because we're reaching people for God. And in my kids, there was this deep sense of passion 
and purpose. Not fear, not anger, but incredible grace and love. We're not going to stop. We're going to love people. People need to know about God. We're going to keep loving people. Why? Because there's an identity in our home. We're not going to be just a Christian family in name. We're going to be God first. We're going to be God first. And I didn't realize how deep that was until I saw it in them. And don't get me wrong, we're not perfect. We're not perfect by any means, okay? We struggle at times. We wrestle at times with our faith. My kids have the freedom to wrestle with their faith and struggle with their faith and and work those things out, but they're working at it and they're processing it and they're trying to make it personal and real for them. We're not just doing this because of mom and dad. We got to find out what it means for us. So here's the deal. Here's the bottom line for today. Don't worry when you're being persecuted for righteousness. Worry when you're not. Don't worry when you're being persecuted for righteousness. Worry when you're not. Because if you're not being persecuted at all, let me say this to you as lovingly as I can to your pastor. If you're not being persecuted at all, you might just be a Christian family. What are we about, mom and dad? Well, you know, we're about the soccer game. Yay. We're about going to the lake on vacation. Yay. We're about granite countertops and a new car. Yay. Is that what your family is going to be about? Or is it going to be we're on a mission? We're all about Jesus and his kingdom and his purpose and his glory. We're going to make a difference in this world as a family. And if you choose option number two, if you choose God first, if you choose Jesus first, if you decide you're going to go all in and your family's going to go all in, then you need to know you will be persecuted at times. So don't worry when you are. Worry when you're not. If everything's always okay and there's never spiritual opposition, maybe, just maybe, you're walking the same direction as the devil, so he's cool with it. Because when you're walking towards God, there is always going to be spiritual opposition. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. So what do we do? Number one, we expect it. That's what happens. Number two, we endure it. We take it like a man or woman of God. You don't strike back and get angry. You don't get defensive. You just keep on loving and you love some more. And number three, we embrace it. Because Jesus taught, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the pure in heart. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And so my prayer is that the people of our church community, First Light South Portland Nass, is that we will not just settle for being an average cultural Christian people. God has called you to something 
so much more. We're called to be God first in everything we do. May God bless our crazy families so that we can make a difference in this world for Jesus. Can we pray together, church, with heads bowed, eyes closed? As you guys are praying right now, there, there may be some of you who recognize, man, if I'm really being honest, I'm kind of more in the cultural Christian category. And I really know that I wanna be God first in the way that I live. There are those of you and you're, you're very serious about your faith and yet you recognize there's more. I need to be a better spiritual leader in my home, in my family. I need to be a better parent to my kids. I need to be a better witness to my friends. I wanna be God first in everything I do. I don't want him to be a part of my life. I want him to be everything. If God is speaking to you right now, if he's just convicting your heart right now that you wanna be God first in the way you live, by faith, would you just lift up a hand right now? Would you say, would you pray for me? Would you just lift it up and say, that's me? Praise God, praise God. So many people in our church this morning, if you're raising your hand at home right now, he sees it, he sees it. God, I thank you for a church full of courageous people who would be honest enough to say, I'm not gonna come to church and pretend or wear a mask. God, I wanna honor you better. God, I pray that even now you would lead our minds to be conformed in the image of your son, Jesus. God, I pray for, for those who, who may be the only Christian in their family, in their home right now. Maybe they have a spouse who's not a believer. Maybe their kids are not believers. God, give them strength and wisdom as to how to share your love. God, for, for the homes that are Christian in name only, I pray that you would cause one or more people to rise up, to challenge others to a higher calling, to make you first, and to make a difference in this world. God, convict us to fall in love with you, empowered by your Holy Spirit. May Jesus not be just a part of our life. May he be the center of our lives. So we keep praying. I know there's some of you and you recognize right now that something inside of you right now is just pulling you towards God. It's just drawing you towards God. You can feel it in your soul right now. And while others may think you're far away, deep inside, you know you're close. I mean, he's pulling on you right now. And let me tell you how close you are. You are one step from knowing him. You are one step from his forgiveness. You are one step from his grace. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done in life, Jesus, the son of God, died for your sins, for all of them. And he didn't stay dead. The tomb is empty. The stone is rolled away. He is risen. So that scripture says anyone who calls on his name, anyone will be saved, will be transformed, will be made new. As we talked about last week, even if your heart has been hardened, he will give you a new heart 
He loves you. There's some of you here and you're Christian in name only. Call on him today. He wants to set you free. So those of you would say, that's me. I need his grace. I need his mercy. I've done some stuff in my life, kind of jacked up. I need his forgiveness. I don't want to just ask him to, to save me. I want him to be Lord of my life in every single way. As Jesus gave his life for me, I want to turn from my sins and I want to give my life to him. If that's your prayer, would you be really bold this morning and would you just lift up a hand and say, that's me. I need Jesus. I need his forgiveness. I need his grace. Praise God. I see that hand. Praise God. I see another hand. Is there, praise God, another. Is there anybody else here today? Another hand. Praise God. God's moving in our church this morning. Is there anybody else? I'll tell you, I tell you every week, guys, this is the greatest decision you can ever make in your entire life. I remember when I made this decision as a freshman in high school and he radically changed my life and it was going in one direction and he moved it in another direction. Is there anybody else here today who says, I need Jesus, I need to make a change in my life today? You're one step away, praise God. I see that, praise God. Let me pray for you guys. Those of you here who are followers of Christ, will you pray for these five people today who are super bold, super courageous, and are responding to what God is saying to them? Would you pray right now with them? Pray this. Pray, Heavenly Father, thanks for loving me. Thanks for meeting me right where I'm at. God, I'm not perfect. I've done some wrongs in my life. God, forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. Today, on this last Sunday of July, 2022, I believe Jesus died for me to pay the price for all my sins, all my wrongs. And I believe he rose again because he's the son of God. God, fill me with your spirit so I can serve you with my whole life. I want a new heart. I want a new direction in life. God, I wanna make you first in everything I do. Help me to do that one step at a time, day by day, step by step, for the rest of my life in a personal relationship with you. Thanks for loving me, God. I love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Can we celebrate some decisions? Praise God. Praise God. Um, as you respond, as we do a closing song with the worship team, I want to let you know the altars are open. If you need to come forward and, and pray, please feel free to do that. If, if someone in your life who you love wants to come forward and pray, you know, maybe come and pray with them. Let, let them know that, that you love them. If you made a decision today, don't keep that a secret. 
please let somebody know. Let your family know. You know, let some of our staff know. We want to celebrate that with you because that's the first step in an incredible journey that God has for you throughout this life and into eternity. So let's stand and respond together again. The altars are open. If, if you've got to get some business done with God today, feel free to do so.
close with a word of prayer, shall we? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this powerful truth. Thank you for the fact that, Lord, you are with us. Uh, when we are being persecuted for you, Lord, we just sense your presence even more powerfully and affirming to us the rightness, Lord, as we walk with you day by day. Lord, continue to do that transformation work in each of us. Transform us, O oh God, by the renewing of our minds. And as we go forth into our week, Lord, we thank you for going before us, for walking beside us and guiding us each step of the way. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray, amen and amen. Have a great week, everyone. God bless. Take care.